I know some, some people like, you know, they don't want to get there too early and be kind of like nervous and overthinking things. Um, but mm-hmm. I promise you, if you, you're going to be nervous either way, and if you're nervous, well, you only have 15 minutes to get to the start line, you still have to pump up your tires, you still have to like put your <laughs> hydration pack on and, you know, you're going to do something that like, you're going to make a silly mistake because you're pressed for time. And, you know, that combined with the nervousness, um, can, can lead to disaster. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and this week we're discussing how to prepare for long and short races concurrently, what your race day morning plan should look like, and when to address left to right power imbalances. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. In case you've been living under a rock and haven't heard, Flow has a new product out and it's high time you get your hands on some. Flow now offers an endurance gel mix in both rainbow berry and flavorless, and it's simple to use. You just add some water to one of the reusable gel flasks, pour in your desired amount of gel, and top it off with a little more liquid, and you're ready to go. So if you want to up your training and race day nutrition, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to Ignition Coach Co. and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so this first question we've got here from Tyler. Uh, He says, hi, I have high school mountain bike races every other weekend during the fall, but I will also be racing the Park City point-to-point during that time. The high school races range from 15 to 25 miles. How, if at all, should I change my training to help with the long-distance racing as well as the shorter XC races? Maybe keeping the volume relatively high through the build season? Question mark. Uh, thanks in advance. Love the podcast. Tyler. Mm, I was just in Park City. I rode some of the trails that are part of the point-to-point. How long is the point-to-point? I think it's 70-something miles, if I'm yeah, correct. Yeah. It's 70 miles, and it's 100% mm. single track. Yeah, so since it's that much single track, 70 miles actually takes quite a bit of time, I think. I haven't done the race, but I, you know, I have a good idea of what the race is like. Yeah, I want to say the winning time is usually like in the six hour range. Yeah. Um, Yeah, man, high school mountain bike racing is really popping in Utah, it seems like. I'm assuming this this, uh, Tyler is from Utah. Uh, they don't say, but I think that's a good assumption. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, the Rocky Mountain region in general, like Colorado, Utah, uh, Nevada, like they've, they've all got pretty, pretty stellar, um, high school scenes. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I think that you, one thing that you need to decide is how, how important to you is the point to point race versus the high school races? Like, do you have a, do you have a priority one way or the other? Um, because I don't want to say the training is completely different between the two, but it, it will be a bit different because the high school races are, you know, standard cross country races and the point to point is probably going to be, I don't know how fast you are, Tyler, but it's probably going to be a six, seven, eight hour day, maybe longer. So, um, if, if either one of those, if, for example, if you just want to do the point to point just to have the experience and it's not that important to you, I would train specifically for the high school races and then just do what you can at the point to point or vice versa. If the high school races aren't that important, I would do the opposite. 
if they're both important, which is probably the answer, because that's usually the answer when people ask this question, then I guess that question gets a little bit trickier. Um, I mean, I, I think that probably the route that I would go down is, is um, cause, cause basically if you're training for cross country races, you'd want the volume to be lower and the intensity to be higher. And if you're training for the point to point, you would want the intensity to be lower and the volume to be higher. So if they're both important, you might want to want to do a middle road there where, you know, you're still kind of maintaining high volume, but also prioritizing intensity. The problem is that when you do that, I mean, it, you know, you're going to be sacrificing something. So just keep that in mind. Did you guys watch the uh, track and field national championships this weekend? Is this, is this related to this guy's question? <laughs> oh, so relevant. It's so relevant. No, I'm, I did the not. King of, I'm the king of rabbit holes. We're about to go down it. No, I'm just kidding. In the um, <laughs> At the track and field uh, national championships, I was watching it as I was driving yesterday. CJ was watching it, and she kept showing me. It's totally mm. legal, safe. Uh, <laughs> Gabby, Gabby Douglas, I think that's her name. Don't quote me on that. Pretty sure it's Gabby Douglas. Won the 200-meter and right before that, something Richardson had won the 100 meter mm-hmm. and Gabby Douglas didn't do the 100 meter and Richardson got second in the 200 meter. And I'm pretty sure Gabby Douglas only went to track nationals just to race the 200 meter race. And we're talking like, I just think it's funny, like we're talking about the difference between a one hour race and a six hour race. And she's talking about a, a 10 second race versus a 20 second race. And she she forwent doing the 10 second 100 meter race to put all of her chips in the basket for the 200 meter race. But you're talking the difference between 10 seconds and 20 seconds. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in track you have to qualify. So it would have been a lot of heats back to back to back. And, but she ended up winning. What I'm, my point is she put all of her chips into the 200 meter and she won the 200 meter. Is this a different um, Gabby Douglas than the gymnast? So yeah, I think that's why I'm, I think pretty sure that's not her name. But it's Gabby something. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, 200 meter national champion women. All right. Come on, Google. I mean, I, I think we get your point, Drew. Yeah. But I want to give her cred <laughs> because, okay, sure. Gabby Thomas. Oh. So see how close. Gabby Thomas. <laughs> um, but the point I'm saying is. You know, I don't know. You could make the mistake of trying to split your chips and you don't win either one. Um, yeah. And if you take a, you know, take a play out of Gabby Thompson's, Thomas, Thomas's playbook <laughs> and put all your chips in one basket. Hey, and you win. Then she said she didn't regret not racing the 100 meter because she won the 200. Yeah. I mean, I that, yeah, that is a great point. Yeah. Tyler has, I mean, he's in high school. Um, I'm not telling him what to do, but I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. You have the rest of your life to race the point to point. So enjoy the high school racing. Um, you're fit. I'm sure you're, you're going to be able to survive the point to point. Um, I'm sure you want to thrive and not just survive. So, um, it's difficult too, because I assume most of the high school races happen on Saturday where Sunday is normally the day you would want to get out for your long ride. Um, but if he can manage getting out at least once a week for four plus hours, five hours, um, he'll be just fine. I think I echo what Caitlin said, but I'll say it a little more sterner. Um, (laughs) 
your your physiology is going to suit these night these high school races a little bit more for, than the six hour point to point right now. And in like five years from now, you're gonna you're start you're gonna start to build what they call old man endurance and like dad watts <laughs> and all of that stuff. All that comes with age, and as that as you get older, you're gonna get better and better at long distance events. So like I would, if I were going to pick one or the other, I would focus on the shorter races now. And then, cause you can focus on those longer events later on. Like look how old Dylan is and look how good he is at 200 miles. Like perfect example. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Every gray hair that I get, I get, I gain one watt in my 10 hour power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my point, my, my point precisely. And Dylan probably knows exactly how much one watt equates to over 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. And one, one thing to note here too, is the point to point, uh, it's, it's over Labor Day weekend. So first weekend in September. So fairly early into the fall season, you know, for, for, I guess for the high school season, it's, you know, they probably start racing middle to end of August, but then they'll race till probably early October. So they'll have about a month and a half or so after point to point. So I say that is like, you could, you could spend the rest of the summer kind of preparing, like building your volume up. And then that like residual fitness that you'll, you'll bring into the start of the high school season will carry you through the first two or three weeks of the high school season into point to point. So you don't have to even compromise on, you know, you're overloading on volume as much because you'll have time to, like it won't be that much time between when the high school season starts, the race season starts, and when point to point is. So you know you can you can start focusing on sharpening the the sword for the XC races, um, and probably not lose too much of that fitness that you'd built up in the summertime. And yeah. it'd be like a a massive training ride. Like if you just treat it as like a big training day, and you're just trying to go out there and like Kaylin said, like you're just like you're going to get through it. You know, like you're going to survive. You just go out there and like you want to just have the best day possible, make sure you're fueling really well. Like it could be a pretty, pretty decent fitness bump to get you through the rest of the high school season too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Anything else to add here? No, I think that was good. All right. Good luck, Tyler. Let us know how it goes. Uh, okay. The next question comes from, uh, so it comes from Daniel, who is the bonk bros super fan. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> he listens to Daniel, Matchbox too. Yeah, I guess so. Daniel, I apologize. This one got lost in the junk file. Um, it's from about a month ago. So hopefully it's not super relevant. I actually, I know it's not because you're not racing right now. Um, but anyway, so Daniel from Bonk Bros Podcast here, he says, my question is about logistics on race morning for mass start gravel events, especially if you are not an amateur or if you are an amateur and not getting the pro staging this past weekend at gravel locos. I left my hotel room at 6am and got to the race venue at 7am. There was a 20 minute wait to get into the parking lot, uh, through the cattle gate, which also had hundreds of cyclists exiting through race started at 7:30, and I didn't park my car until 7:20, which only left me 10 minutes to get ready, go to the start line and line up. So obviously I didn't get a warm up in, I now have a U-sweet tan line on my back, and starting position was terrible. <laughs> um, he said, I was looking at Dylan's uh, race recap video, and he was rolling at about 260 watts at 24 miles an hour for the first 30 minutes. I was solo chasing in my aero bars, doing 390 watts to go 24 miles in order to close the 45-second gap that I started with. Um, and he said, which didn't have a neutral rollout. Um, 
So mm-hmm. what do you guys do to improve your starting position at these mass start gravel events? How early is too early to show up? If you need one hour to drive and park, when do you want to be parked and parked in the parking lot for the event? Um, and then there's another part of the question. So we'll start with, we'll start there. So let's just talk about like, when do you guys like to arrive at races? Comfortably? Well, you can, you can live in a van and sleep at the start finish. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's um, true. I so <laughs> I, I actually did talk to Daniel in person about this after the race. Um, I don't know if I answered his question there. Probably I didn't. But obviously, so, he still wrote in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I will say that the gravel locos parking situation was a mess. Uh, it was it was not very well organized. Um. And I don't think most gravel races are, are, it's that much of a pain to park. In fact, I think that was, that was almost the worst parking experience I've ever had at a gravel race. So Daniel, I, I don't think that's typical for a gravel race. That being said, I mean, um, I don't know how, how long your hotel, how far the drive was from your hotel to the start, start finish area. Um, I mean, I would an hour. An hour. Okay. So under the best circumstances, if he leaves at six, he would be getting there 30 minutes before the race. Which is what he did. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think maybe trying to get to the race an hour beforehand, if you don't have to warm up, makes sense. And then if you do have to warm up an hour before you start your warm up, which is which yeah. may seem excessive, right? Like, what are you going to do for an hour? But you just just give yourself plenty of time in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes that means like like in this case here, like so that would have meant him leaving at five thirty ish. That's assuming there's like no parking dilemmas. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even give yourself another fifteen minutes for parking. So you know, call it five fifteen. Um, the race doesn't start till seven thirty. So that might mean like eating breakfast on the way. If you're trying to eat roughly two hours before start time, you have to plan that out, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to like eat breakfast at four thirty because you're leaving at five and then eat breakfast too early. Like sometimes you just have to like take your food on the go. Um, so you have to like kind of, you have to like, I always start from, you know, race starts at seven thirty, and you work backwards from there. First thing you need to know is, okay, when do I need to eat? Cause that's really important. So, okay, I'm going to try and eat between five and five thirty. Um, well, if I need to get in the car between five and five thirty, that means bringing my food in the car with me. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Overnight oats, grab it on the way. Yeah. That's usually a go-to. Mm-hmm. I'm normally so cons- like concerned about finding a bathroom that I want to make sure I'm there that early just so that I can find a bathroom. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you want to give yourself time for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, who knows? Like some of these big events, like I don't, I've never done Unbound, but when you've got four thousand participants plus spectators plus crew members, like you know, who knows? There could be five thousand cars parking out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You might have to take a shuttle. Like you don't even like, you know, you don't even know what the par- parking and, and shuttle situation might be like, or, or how long the, the the ride to the start line is going to be. So it's good to like give yourself plenty of time. Um, I know some, some people like, you know, they don't want to get there too early and be kind of like nervous and overthinking things. Um, but mm-hmm. I promise you, if you, you're going to be nervous either way, and if you're nervous, while well, you only have 15 minutes to get to the start line, you still have to pump up your tires. You still have to like put your hydration pack on and, you know, fill that with all of your gels. Like you're going to f- probably forget something or you're going to break the valve off on your, 
you know, on your rim or like, you know, you're going to do something that like, you're going to make a silly mistake because you're pressed for time. And, you know, that combined with the nervousness, um, can, can lead to disaster. Yeah. I have a note. I have a note that I keep on my phone called Drew's race day schedule. And it's pretty much what Adam said, where you, I have my race, I, I leave the words in there. And every time I have a race coming up, like my next race, the day before the race or whatever, I'll go in and change the times for each of the different things. So it's like depart, arrive, eat, number pickup, pre-ride, change, warm up, staging, race, finish, depart. And I leave all those in there. And then I just change the time associated with, with each of those tasks. Um, and that keeps me pretty like on top of, I think having a plan in place like that prevents any kind of chaos from happening. Like the more, what is that fate, fate, fate favors the prepared. That's like one of my favorite quotes. Um, and so just having a plan in place like that. Another thing that irks me about these gravel races is like gravel racing is much like a marathon race where the pros and the amateurs start together. It's all together. But what they do in, in marathons is they have little people with projected paces or time finish times. Um, and it's kind of like up to you to be honest and say, okay, I'm not going to be a sub three or I'm not going to be a, a six thirty runner. Or maybe I'm a seven thirty pace. So I'm going to stand back here with the seven thirty pace sign holder, whatever. They should have some sort of like projected finishing time so that people can kind of slot in. Cause what really like bugs me is, is yeah, when you don't have a call up and you're starting behind, no offense, but like Joe Schmo, who's going to take 10 hours. And it's just like, if there was a little bit more organization of where people slot in in the, in the starting corral, a lot of the headache that, that Daniel's talking about would, would kind of get rid of itself, I think. Yeah, that's actually and probably, like an and it's probably safer. It's, it's probably safer too. Um, I will and, say and that a like, lot of gravel races do that. They do have yeah. projected finishing times. Like Unbound right. has that. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Okay. I've never mm-hmm. seen that. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen done it, unbound. Yeah. Um, and, and actually Drew, I've like, done unbound. Drew, some, some marathons, remember. like you said that it's kind of like up to you, but like some marathons, you know, there's, there's qualifying to get in like a Boston marathon. Like you have to qualify to get oh, in and then they automatically they corral you and like you've got you like a wristband a with like a certain color that you have to go into that corral. Leadville, mm. kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like whatever your corral is, like you can only get into that corral if you've got that colored number plate. Um, oh, cool. So, so some races do have some sort of organization to the start. Mm-hmm. And also, Unbound this year, there was a separate pro start, which a lot of people were upset about. They want everyone starting together, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, they. I think it depends on on what gravel race it is. Obviously. As we know, there's no there's no like one set of rules for all gravel races. Every gravel race has a different set of rules. So yeah. Um, okay, but let's the move on of to reigns overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, let's move on to Daniel's second part of this question. So he says, okay. "Can you also touch on adapting to the situation? In this case, the front group was going 24 miles an hour, and they had a one minute gap. How many minutes?" Do you want to chase at FTP FTP in a TT mode before settling in at your own pace and just doing the whole thing solo? As you can imagine, I ended up having a massive bonk at mile 100 after doing 30 minutes at threshold to start, followed by 30 minutes of sweet spot and 30 minutes of tempo. Oof. Say the last part again of the 
the 30 minute what was all that yeah so he was so to start the race he did 30 minutes of threshold then he finally caught the group and he settled in at 30 minutes of sweet spot because the group was rolling pretty strong i assume and then 30 minutes of tempo after that so that his first 90 minutes consisted of tempo or higher so basically he didn't he like his pacing was terrible right which is (laughs) which is typical for gravel races and mountain bike races in any race ever honestly people don't know how to pace themselves but i will say that at a gravel race it's tricky because obviously drafting matters especially at gravel locos drafting matters a lot because the average speed is high um so you know where where is that line between pacing and trying to stay with the group um i would definitely say that 30 minutes of threshold before at the very start of a race that's probably going to take over eight hours is too much. <laughs> um, and that couldn't have felt fantastic because he didn't get a warm up in at all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I think usually in a gravel race, uh, I mean, I'll I'll look at power when I'm alone, but it's kind of, it can be hard when you're sort of still in the pack. And I'll take a look at my heart rate and I've got an idea of what heart rate is, you know, sustainable and what heart rate is, means that I'm about to crack. Uh, usually for me, if I hit 180 beats per minute, I'm, I'm close to cracking and in the one seventies is really high and really painful. Um, so if it's the first, uh, if it's the first 30 minutes of a gravel race and I'm in the one seventies, by the way, I think my, threshold heart rate is like 175 ish depending on the day. Cause you know, heart rate changes day to day. Um, if I'm in the one seventies in the first 30 minutes, um, I know that something's probably wrong. Hopefully the group is going to slow down. Um, but if they don't, I might have to start making some calculations in my head, like, you know, okay, this is an eight hour day and I'm riding at my pace that I can sustain for one hour, I need to do something about this. Uh, I would probably, like, in da- if I was in Daniel's situation, uh, which was partially due to the, the parking, um, but I'm let, let's say I'm already in Daniel's situation, the parking took forever, and now I'm, I'm chasing. I think that I would have called it after, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, of riding at threshold. And it's, and after that point, I'd be like, this is way too hard a pace for such a long race. I need to back it down and see if I can work with some other people out here. I don't, I don't gravel locos. I don't think you would have had to do the whole race solo. Uh, I think you probably would have had some people out there to work with, even if they weren't as strong a people as you would have liked to have worked with. Now, let me, let me put this out there. So, if let's say like if I was in Daniel's shoes, if if I was like assuming like I mean he said he was forty five seconds off the front group at the start, mm-hmm. um, so I'm assuming he could see the front group in order to like make those time splits in his head. So if in the first five minutes of doing threshold I wasn't gaining any ground, I probably would have decided at that moment like okay I either put in like three or four minutes higher than threshold to like really chase on or like you said, like back it off. Cause like if you're not making up any ground and you're going threshold five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, like at some point it's like, okay, well this just isn't working. Right. So like, would, yeah. would you ever consider that like going above threshold in order to just chase back on and like burn that match, but like get there versus like that's that. Slow, say. 
Just sprint your brains out for three minutes, get there, and <laughs> done. Burned a match, but you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I would definitely consider doing that. I don't know. I don't know if Daniel tried that. Um, you know, maybe he did try that. Uh, that's what the, the that's probably what most people do, right? We're not we're not saying something that most people haven't thought of. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's, that is what most people are doing in a gravel race. Is yeah. So maybe throwing, he did like they're yeah, throwing maybe, maybe pacing out the window and they're like, I just need to catch that group. I'm sure when he says I did 30 minutes of threshold, he didn't just park it at his threshold power for 30 minutes and be like, Oh, well I didn't catch him. Like I'm sure he was <laughs> going hard and then going easy and going hard and going easy. And the average for 30 minutes was his threshold power. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I gotcha. But so yeah, I, I I agree. I, I think I think the, the plug should have been pulled um quite a bit earlier than that. Yeah. This is this has been a big thing. So the last two rate two gravel races I've done have been horrendous climbing races. And dra- this I this is not so much related to gravel locos because drafting does matter a lot at gravel locos, but one of the huge things I've been on recently and I've been on it in the past is pacing properly and how people don't know how to pace themselves. Um, but like these, these races, I don't want to say drafting doesn't matter because there are flat sections, but there's so much climbing and it's just, it's just insane how even, even the fastest racers don't know how to pace themselves. I'm talking about literally the winners of the race didn't pace themselves correctly. And yeah, they won the race. So you could argue that they did, but like, if you look at their power profile, their power is going down throughout the race, which theoretically is not the fastest way to get from point A to point B. Hey, racing isn't about theory, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, So for a little context here, uh, and hopefully Daniel doesn't mind me sharing this, but the first 10 minutes he did at 1.09 IF. So he was quite a bit above threshold. So kudos, Daniel. Yep. I mean, you, you gave it a shot there, but that probably would have been, that would have been my signal. It's like if in the first 10 minutes I'm doing VO2 max, like mm-hmm. there, you know, it's mm-hmm. maybe a lost cause at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And also if, so I don't, did, Adam, you may know, did he, did he actually get, end up catching the front group at one point or no um yes. like it <clears throat> he did okay yeah so it looks like after it was, 30 minutes of threshold right yeah so yeah 30 minutes at 1.03 then he kind of then he caught the group settled in but his first 50 minutes were actually at 0.99 if Oof. so he did like 50 Oof. minutes of threshold to start the race <laughs> yeah okay um, yeah, I mean, which is like insane. I mean, like that's like that is like a 40k TT effort to start yeah. a 160 mile race. Yeah. It's, so it's I, here, here rough. you want to you want to actually a, a better analogy here. Um, if I go to my if I go to my unbound, um, like the mud, the mud section. Here we go. Obviously, Gotta as we know, the mud section just <laughs> the mud section just screwed up everyone's race, mine included. And after the mud section, you know, what I could have done when I got out of the mud section is been like, I need to catch the front group. Let me do threshold for 30 minutes. And this is a 10 hour race, right? I could have done that. Uh, probably still wouldn't have caught the front group and probably would have totally wasted myself for the rest of the race. And I saw riders doing that. I saw riders going way harder than what is sustainable. Uh, and then they ended up blowing up, but 
Um, instead, I was just like, well, the front group is not in sight at all. So I just, I just need to ride at a pace that is sustainable for 10 hours now. You know what I mean? And I think that, I think that, you know, it's a little bit different situation here with gravel locos, but you could have made the same argument. You could have said, okay, well, I haven't caught the front group after 10 minutes. Um, I, let me not ride at sweet spot and then ride at tempo. Let me just ride at a pace that is sustainable for eight hours. Um, and hopefully along the way, I've got people to work with. Maybe if I'm lucky, the front group will slow down a little bit and, and I can catch back on. But if not, I'm not, I'm not going to be concerned about that because I'm trying to, I'm trying to get from the starting line to the finish line as fast as possible. I'm not trying to catch the front group an hour into the race and then blow up at mile 100. Yeah. And it also depends on what your, your goal is for the race too. You know, like Dylan at unbound, if, if Keegan was in your position where, you know, he got gapped off in the mud, he'd probably have been forced to like chase back on to try and make the front group. Right. Cause he, mm -hmm. he might not have had the chance, like the luxury of like going his own pace because he, he might not have ever caught the front group again. Um, you know, and, and he came, you know, he was there to win. Not that you weren't there to like do your best, but like, mm -hmm if you didn't win the race, like you could have still walked away with a successful race day. Like you did without even winning, right? Like you were top mm -hmm. 20 and like, that was a, that was a really good result. Um, you know, so it depends on what your, what your goal of the race day is. Um, Daniel, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. uh, this might be a bad assumption, but I'm assuming you weren't there, uh, with the goal of winning, like you were there to get the best place possible, but maybe winning wasn't the number one objective. So like, sure, you want to be in that front group, but if the front group is only 30 guys, you can assume that, you know, probably half those guys are going to get popped off at some point. So if you just kind of roll that, you know, hard tempo, um, you know, you, you might be able to catch some of those guys that get popped off and you start working together. And then if they've completely blown up and blown themselves out of the front group, maybe you've got more energy in the tank to, to drop them later in the race. Yeah. Cool. Next one. You got seven minutes. You got time. Yeah. Let's bang it out. All right. Okay, this, this next one's from Zach. So he's got a question about power balance. He says, I've noticed my mm -hmm. left and right power balance has slowly become more off balance at 47% left, 53% right. As coaches, do you look at this metrics, metric when it's available? Is this becoming too asymmetrical, and what would you suggest to correct it? He says, I calibrate my power meter every ride, and I'm using the Asioma power pedals. And then he sends a follow-up question the next day. He says, I've I switched my power meter pedals to my road bike. They were on my gravel bike for about five weeks. And now I do not have a difference left to right. So maybe I had mm. the pedals incorrectly tensioned or something. Hmm. All right. Well, definitely address that first. But let, let's just theoretically say that somebody has a uh, imbalance of 47 to 53. I don't think that I... Uh, there's some, there's some very high-level riders that have a power imbalance like that. It's I don't think... I don't think that that number that you gave is something to be concerned about. And I, I would also take a look at your power balance when you're going very hard versus when you're yeah. going easy, your power balance will be the, the difference between your left and right leg will probably be greater when you're going easy. And then the harder you go, you know, you're recruiting more muscle fibers for, from both legs and they should be more even, they might not be exactly even, but they should be more even. Um, what, at what point do you start start worrying about that? Um, I think that you're going to know that you have a problem because you sh if you have a dramatic power imbalance, 
it's usually because you have a leg length discrepancy or you injured something in one leg or or something like that. It's usually not just like that's naturally your power imbalance is like, you know, <laughs> 35 on one leg and, you know, I don't, what, what's the math? 65 on the other leg, right? Um, usually, usually there's a glaring issue that's causing that and addressing that issue is going to solve that problem. Right. Yeah. So like I, I do look at this from time to time as a coach and typically like what I'm looking for is like, like I'll, I'll mainly look at it if like an athlete mentions something's going on, like they've got some kind of like overuse injury they're feeling, or maybe they're just like not feeling as strong in the bike. And that's kind of when I'll go a little bit deeper into the data. And typically what I'll do is like, I'll go back for a week or two and see if I notice a trend in one direction. So like if it's 47.53 every ride and it's not changing, I'm not too concerned. But if it starts at 49.51 and then over the course of two weeks, it's like slowly, um, you know, increasing to like 41.59. And like I'm seeing that it's like definitely trending in one direction. And that might tell me like there's something underlying going on that we like I'm probably not going to address it. Like that's probably something that needs to get addressed, like seen by like a physical therapist or um you know, depends on what the the situation is, but probably need to, you know, maybe see a medical doctor at, at some point. Um, cause clearly like there's something that's contributing towards that. Um, now in this case, like he switched his power meter pedals and the symptom went away. So like, that might be like one of the first things to check is like, take your pedals off, put them back on tension, you know, torque them down appropriately. Um, power meter, power meter pedals are different than normal pedals. Like normally when I put my pedals on, I just like torque it down until it's like pretty tight and like, it's never going to fall off. But with power meter pedals, you have to torque it to a pretty specific torque spec. So like if you don't have that torque wrench, that's going to torque it to that spec. Um, you could get inconsistencies quite often. So that's something to kind of keep in mind too. Agreed. Um, something related to this. I feel like when you talk about cadence or your left, right balance, the reciprocal metric in running would be your stride. And then uh, there's actually like pretty good amount of research about, people trying to change their stride because there's the perfect stride. Um, and I think that's like, yeah, I don't, there's all kinds of things about the perfect stride. That's not important, but anytime they've tried to change a runner's stride, they actually run slower than if they were to just run their preferred stride, which Dylan talks about this a lot with cadence. Um, and Matt Fitzgerald describes it as running dumb because when you run, You're going to perform better when you don't have to think as much about the Mm -hmm. mechanics of what's happening and you're just riding. So when you're thinking about, oh, I need to pedal harder with my left leg than my right leg, and you're consciously thinking that, it's probably declining your performance. Like your performance is probably lower than if you just, what he says, uh, he says run dumb, um, where you just run and you don't think, you don't ever have to think about your running, you just run. Um, and it's also like, a. he also says that scientists speculate that something like the stride is a self optimizing system, meaning the more you do it, the, the, your, everybody's bodies are different and your body is going to adapt to figure out the best way to run or to ride. And then to, but I don't know how that falls into like left, right balance. Cause you would think the best way would be 50 50. So everybody would be trending towards 50 50. Um, but well, I don't that's, know. that's I don't why know Dylan maybe... said to look at your, your pedal imbalance or power imbalance 
at a, an easy pace and then also a hard pace. Um, yeah. Cause the harder you're going, yeah. the more efficient your body has to become. So yeah. it's, it's going to try and optimize itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Every time I do intervals, it, it, it goes closer to 50, 50 when I'm doing intervals than when I'm just doing like endurance or something. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's also good... like an important thing to keep in mind too. Um, and Dylan, I know you got to get going. So if you need to hop off, that's fine. Um, but I like, if you're going in for a bike fit and the bike fitter never has you riding harder than endurance pace, <clears throat> um, don't, don't, don't leave. Like you should, they should be analyzing your, your position and, and, um, you know, pedal performance at race pace or, you know, hard effort. So like when I'm doing mm-hmm. bike fits for people, we'll start off easy, kind of doing a warm up, And then I'll kind of make sure it's like in a generally good position when they're just riding endurance. Um, cause like you are going to spend a lot of time at endurance. So like, it is good to look at that too, but then I don't really start getting into the nitty gritty until we start doing some race pace efforts. And that's when you start to see like, okay, are they moving around? Like, is something not quite comfortable? Cause when you're just pedaling, you know, doing noodles and, you know, pedaling around, like, uh, you know, it's your body's not really working that hard. So it doesn't need to be nearly as efficient as when you're like doing that race pace effort, you start kind of like your body's moving into the right position and it's trying to like Dylan said, recruit more muscle fibers. So it has to like try and optimize the position and the, the, um, you know, the pedal stroke in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Don't forget to torque your, your power meter pedals down appropriately. Uh, cool. I think, I think that wraps it up for this one. Sweet. All right. I'll see you guys. All right. We'll see you guys. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Let's go!